so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hi. This is Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know with myself, Andrew, and my mom. It's Mary. So, let's start off the show correctly. Did you pee? Yes, I did. Thank, thanks okay. for, you know, your concern. Of course. As stated previously, again, make sure that, you know, you're taken care of. Again, thank you for joining us in our little vocal journey here. I really like that term, vocal journey. Not sure where you came up with that, but that, I like that. Sounds good for us. Yeah, just kind of off the top of my head. It's a good good way to phrase what we're what we're doing here. I like that. So this is episode three. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it, but it is episode three. So how was your day today? Slow. Yeah? Yeah. It started off just slow. And what kind of good stuff happened today? I hit rank 109 in Call of Duty. I guess that that's an achievement. It is, and I finally, uh, given the fact I've only been working on it for overall probably two weeks, I finally got my Rytec to gold. Ooh, that, that sounds important. Not really, no. Okay. <laughs> no, it's kind of been a wasted day. <laughs> it's all right. That's why I don't talk about my day. <laughs> You're here with me. We're doing good things. We're going to make people giggle. Maybe they'll even laugh out loud. I think that's important. Make people LOL. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I'd like to address the issues of uh, the sound. It is something I'm working on. I'm trying to minimize the differences in our vocals. And I am also trying to get rid of the pitter-patter of... Little paw feet wandering through the room. Pause on wood floor, yeah. Trying to play with each other. Okay, so that's it for my announcement. Got anything you'd like to announce? Yeah, I just wanted to say we um, do apologize for the audio in last week's episode. It wasn't the quality you have come to expect from us. It's it's two episodes. I don't think they expect crap from us. Yeah, I know, but I was trying to sound important for oh a second. Okay. okay couple people did bring it to my attention and I do appreciate that you know we need we need to hear the bad along with the good we can't fix it if we're not aware of it and we do apologize for that she apologizes I'm just awesome most of the time he absolutely is I have an amazingly awesome smart and talented editor he is self-taught and I look at what he does and how easily he does it and am appropriately in awe. Well, thank you for that. You are welcome. Um, today is November 4th, and it is my sister's birthday. So, happy birthday, Johanna. On a slightly more serious note, the whole COVID thing, although you may not agree with it, just try to adhere to the guidelines put in place by your governing official 
just to keep yourself and everyone else safe, whether you think it's hokum or not, just do it. The sooner we all do it, the sooner we will get through it together. And preferably, in my opinion, we should... The more people that get through it, the happier I will be. I don't... I personally don't want to see or know anyone that passes away from it. It's not anything I would wish on any family, and there's so many families that have already gone through that. I just want to point out, at one point, do it, go through it. Yeah, I was going to call you Dr. Seuss, but you didn't end on a rhyme. Do it, go through it. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, then. Um, It's National Day. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Well, my national day for today is Stress Awareness Day. This day aims to identify and reduce stress factors in your life. Ooh, I think we all need that. I think there are quite a few people who need that. That is for sure. Stress impacts our mental and physical health. Um... You can always try playing a video game, shooting a guy in Call of Duty. It, it helps relieve my stress quite a bit. If you can't get rid of your stress or get a handle on your stress, then maybe you should find somebody who can help you with that. Whether it be you know listening to a 30-minute podcast or an hour podcast, just listening to two or more or less people be just plain dumb. That's Might not help. a reference to anyone at this table, by the way. Yeah, no, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so what are other things that people can do to relieve their stress if they can't figure that out? Well, first you can start by identifying and letting go of things that you can't change. Ooh. You can exercise. Or you can try to start a diet. But to me, that sounds like it'd be a lot more stress. Diets are stressful. They are. And remembering to exercise can be stressful. So, honestly, my opinion is you should just sit your little butt in front of a TV and play some video games. Shoot Shoot some people in the face on a video game. Not in real life. I do not condone murder. Good to know. Obviously, he doesn't condone it, nor has he participated in it, because I am still here, and God knows um, I have probably pushed him to that point a time or two. <laughs> She's only here because I haven't tried hard enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was um, that was an awesome day there. That's yeah. an awesome awareness day. So... We're just going to swap tracks right now, and we're going to go with the National Candy Day. And I'm going to tell you that candy originated in the um, late 13th century in the m- by the Middle English people. They first began using the word. Candy then is not as we know it now. It was originally made with honey um, because cane sugar was not really known, nor was it used. Um Candy was also used for medicinal purposes. I'm yeah, not. A, I'm not a middle century doctor. I 
<laughs> don't know. I'm just going to say this. Um, knowing women, if you eat chocolate, this goes in hand in hand. It can also be a stress reliever. Good can also point. It can also cause stress if you gain weight from eating chocolate. That's so right. Mm. We make, you know, here's our disclaimer. We make, we take, um, no we responsibility. Take no credit, no responsibility for the fact if you have to buy new clothes because you eat candy to relieve your stress. <coughs> not our fault. Well, um, let's not specifically say just candy, but if you just eat your stress away, that is <coughs> not on us. I also found um, that basically candy was only found in the homes of the wealthy. And it did come to the Americas in the 18th century. And the last, and what I felt like the most important thing was, is that M&M's and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the two top-selling candies in America. That's because Reese's are delicious. They are. They are. I can't eat them as much as I used to because I find them much sweeter. So I don't know if they changed the recipe or if I just had a serious sweet tooth when I was a little younger. You know, and... uh, I don't know how long it's been, but they released the white chocolate Reese's. And I don't like those. Uh, they are my favorite. Oh, the dark chocolate Reese's. No, I like my white chocolate. I love dark chocolate. Keep that in mind, gentlemen. <coughs> if you ever send us a box of chocolates, we're not going to fight over the same stuff. <laughs> oh, heck no. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Well, that sounds like a delicious day. Absolutely. I did not eat candy today. Neither did I. I guess I did not observe that day. But that's just our day today because we, you know, we got to do our national days. All right. So, what is in your glass today, mummy? I actually have a Michigan cherry wine in my glass today. I don't know if I caught that or not. Is it in your glass today? It is in my glass. In my glass today, I have a Michigan cherry wine. How many times are you going to say in my glass today? In my glass today? In my glass today? How many times do you want to hear in my glass today? Less than I already have. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's smooth. It's dark. It's a little bit rich. Um, Has a little bit of a tart bite. It's very... Real cherry tasting. I don't like it when things are taste artificial. And when it comes to things like cherries, you really you don't want that artificial taste, which this wine definitely does not have. And what are you drinking today, Andrew? <coughs> Andrew got to try something new today. I did. I am trying a apple pie wine. That should have given it away right there. I didn't read the pie part. It's from the Oliver Winery and Vineyards. It is a delicious, delicious apple wine. You can taste the apple, the cinnamon, not so much the crust, but I think, you know, chunky wine probably would not sell. Probably not. It has a very beautiful color, I will say that. It It does. It has a wonderful color. It has a phenomenal taste. I recommend it to pretty much anybody who is a wine drinker. Well, I am glad that your cup is making you happy today. It is. Well, any cup with booze makes me happy, right? (laughs) 
that's (laughs) 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 usually that's my line that's all right it's okay right so that gets us to the meat of this episode the meat of the episode we're not talking about food today just so you know we are not talking about food you can't say that you already talked about a type of food candy is not food yes it is some days i'm sorry it's called junk what sometimes it's the fifth food group it's called junk what junk food thus all right, it's a food it's a group. Food. We talked about food. We did. We talked about food. Yeah. Okay. Today's story was a suggestion that was given to me. When I first started researching it, I didn't think it was going to be quite as involved as it ended up being. Um, we went th- with a local story. We live here in a little town on the shore of Mi- Lake Michigan. Is Muskegon really a little town? Compared to Chicago, Phoenix, Detroit. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're really little. Okay. Not as little as Vernon, but we're little. To the listener that suggested this story, I really suggest you hang on because we're going, we're going for a ride here. You might we call it a vocal journey. We are going for a ride, and I wouldn't suggest that you take this ride on a plane. A train, a side wheeler, tugboat. I wouldn't suggest you getting a schooner, a bus, or a UFO. We are going for a ride today. I'm sorry, but if I have an opportunity to get on a UFO, I'm taking it. Would you really? I would. Aren't you afraid you wouldn't come back? No. Are you afraid they would... Screw with your head and you'd come back. Whoever's taking me is bringing me back. Trust me. They will return me. (laughs) In this household, there is a return policy. Alrighty. So here we go with our story. We're calling it the the Amazing Lake Michigan Triangle. The Amazing Lake Michigan. The Amazing Lake Michigan Triangle. The Amazing Lake Michigan Triangle. We've all heard of the Bermuda Triangle. And we've heard how how mysterious and bad that can be. Well, I was not aware that there was one that touched Michigan, but there is. So besides the Bermuda Triangle, few areas in the world have a reputation for being as bizarre as the Lake Michigan Triangle. Bermuda Triangle. As bizarre as the Bermuda Triangle? Like the Lake Michigan Triangle. Oh, okay. Is as bizarre the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I'm just... Although it's not known by a lot of people because obviously I didn't know about it before I started researching it. So you, one person, constitutes not a lot of people? Yes. Yes. I assume if I don't know about it, nobody knows about it. That's that's my assumption. Then my if reality. nobody knows about it, how was it brought to your attention? Because the internet knows a lot. Okay, but the internet only knows as much as the human race does, and therefore somebody you don't know in the that hum- you don't know that the UFO people could have put that oh, on the internet. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, all right. So compared to the Bermuda Triangle, which everybody is really very familiar with, our Lake Michigan Triangle has a history that is super unexplained. 
and it is one of the most unexplained places on Earth. So if you're not familiar with the Lake Michigan Triangle, it stretches from Ludington to, to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and then it stretches across to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Apologies if she... Absolutely, because we all know that, that name. my verbalage doesn't always verbalage. Work, work appropriately. Uh, the Lake Michigan Triangle covers an area of about 300 miles, and it has inspired numerous accounts of activity that are extraordinarily difficult to explain by rational thought, which means you and I, we should understand all of it. Completely. So the history of abnormal incidents in the triangle can be traced as far back as the late 17th century. I found I found an incident that went all the way back to then, to the 1600s. So the late 1600s was a time when the world was exploring new ways and routes for expanding the trade. One of the largest selling sailing vessels of that particular time was called Le Griffon. So Le Griffon set out on its maiden voyage in 1679 to find a northwest passage to China and Japan. I did not find a lot about this particular voyage, so what I'm going to tell you is really all I could find. All went well with the voyage until the ship reached the Michigan Triangle. Never, ever to come back. Ever. Although well, they not did the not stay for the scenery, I'm just saying. No. Although we have beautiful scenery. Yeah, for like three days. When the leaves start changing color and look then fall off the tree. Look fast. <laughs> <laughs> Although the Le Griffon was not the only ship that might have submerged, the horrifying part is no wreckage of the ship nor any traces of the crew have ever been found. Ever. Maybe they got to our shores, beached their ship, and then burnt it. Why anyone would stay here is beyond me, but hey, it was a different time. So we're going to move ahead to the 1800s. We're going to talk about a ship called Lady Elgin, which was built in 1851. I would not recommend ever riding on this ship, ever, not from the beginning to the end. And here is why. The Lady Elgin is a wooden-hulled sidewheeler, was known to be one of the most elegantly appointed passenger ships that actually worked the Great Lakes. She was rated a first-class steamer, and she was a favorite with the traveling public. So she was hot and wet? Absolutely, but I still wouldn't ride her. I don't know. I might. We're not done with the story about the Lady Elgin. You might think twice. I might not. I'm a guy. This is true. I don't know if we have the ability to think twice. This is true. Early in her career, she ran between Buffalo and Chicago, and then later between Chicago and Collingwood, Ontario. For many of her later seasons, she plied the route between Chicago and the other Lake Michigan ports and Lake Superior. During her short career... She was involved in numerous accidents. Now, remember, she was built in 1851. She sank and was repaired in 1854 after she struck a rock at Manitowoc, Wisconsin. In 1855, 
she was towed to Chicago after an accident to her machinery. In 1857, she was damaged by fire. In June of 1858, she struck a reef at Copper Harbor, Michigan. Wait, there's reefs? Reefs. Yeah. Reefs yeah. in Michigan? I did not know that, actually. Yeah. There's a lot about Lake Michigan that we're not aware of, honestly. There's a lot. I learned a lot. And awesome. there's so much more to learn, too. Good. In August of that same year, 1858, she was stranded on a Sobble Point Reef in Lake Superior. In October of 1859, she was towed to Marquette, Michigan, after breaking her crossbeam. In November of 1859, she was towed again when her crank pin broke near Point Iroquois, Michigan. At this time, she's only been on the water for eight years. She doesn't make it another year. I'm not a Navy, uh, naval type person. Uh, I don't know anything about water, really, aside from the fact that it's wet. Generally, it is. Eight years is Very not a long time for a boat? No, no. Okay. No, they can actually be in service for 100 years or more if they're well taken care of. I'm going to say she wasn't well built at all, or she was very unlucky. Her end finally came in 1860. She collided with a smaller boat, the Augusta. The Augusta went on to sail safely to harbor, but the Lady Elgin, she just took on water, and then she sank. She took 300 passengers to their deaths making it the deadliest open water sinking in the history of Lake Michigan. So I found all of these stories about the Lake Michigan Triangle, and I've tried to put them together in order of years. Okay. The oldest one's first. So now we're up to 1883. There was a wooden tugboat called the Mary McLean, and it worked out of Chicago Harbor. And the crew, when it got back to the harbor, had a very, very strange story to tell. They claimed to have witnessed mighty blocks of ice falling from the sky while they were on their lake. For 30 minutes, they said the ice fell from the sky and did not stop. It was so large and so powerful that it actually caused dents in the tugboat's wooden surface, which I don't even know how much weight you would have to have to cause a dent in a wooden boat. So the crew did manage to save a large chunk of this ice, put it in its scaly ice box, and took it back, recounted the horrific ordeal when they got back to the harbor. So oh. they, you know, actually had evidence to show. This tugboat later met her demise in 1903 when a fire broke out in the hold. They beached the tugboat. The crew jumped out. But the efforts to extinguish the fire were futile, and the tugboat eventually sank. But nobody died on this accident. Well, that is always so a good thing. So that's a very good thing. That's a very positive thing, because there's not a lot of positives when it comes to the Lake Michigan Triangle. In 1891, schooner named the Thomas Hume, which everybody should recognize that name. From Muskegon. If you're from yeah. Muskegon, you yeah. should definitely recognize the name set off across the lake to drop off lumber in Chicago, Illinois. The Thomas Hume was a 132-foot, three-masted schooner that was one of five vessels in the Hackley Hume fleet. The schooner was returning to its home port in Muskegon. 
almost overnight in a torrent of wind, the Thomas Hume just disappeared. It had a crew of seven sailors. They just disappeared along with the schooner. There was no major storm. There was no full gale winds. The wooden boat was never found, and an extensive search failed to recover even a single piece of driftwood or any bodies. Once again, find a different place. Oh, until. Until. 117 years later. In 2008, it was announced that the schooner had been found and identified with near certainty at the bottom of the southern portion of Lake Michigan. And one of the people that identified the schooner was actually a great-great-granddaughter of one of the Hume family, which I thought was pretty cool. But there was a whole lot in that whole section that didn't belong in the story, so I just thought that was cool. Another the story for another time. Yeah. Um, the wreck is found to be in extremely good shape with everything still intact. The hull's intact, the masts are intact, the riggings, and even the rudder. Everything is intact. Over 100 years later. 117 years later, it's it basically, I saw pictures, it looks almost like a brand new ship sitting down there. I mean, except for, you know, your the things that grow on it. There's no open holes. There's no, nothing broken. It was really cool. So how did it get to the bottom of the lake? Yeah, it's unexplained. To this day, there is no known reason for the Thomas Hume to have sunk because both the captain and the crew of six were seasoned, experienced sailors. Absolutely no reason. There were no major storms. Nothing. Alrighty, so we're going to jump 21 years into the future, and now it is November 22nd of 1912. A world war is on the horizon, and a new generation of sturdy sailors is learning to travel the Lake Michigan waters. And this time, the old vessel, the Rouse Simmons, is on another run, transporting Christmas trees from Thompson, Michigan to Chicago. Captain Herman Schooneman helps to load the boat full of tannenbaums and invites the Michigan lumberjacks to catch a free ride to Chicago with them, if they would like it. The crew of 16, along with the extra lumberjacks, sets off into the water. The ship never arrives at its destination. The ship was spotted sailing in clear conditions with a distress flag flying. A lifeboat is sent out to provide aid, but when it arrives, there is nothing to find. No wreckage. No bodies. A year later, Christmas trees begin washing up along the shore. A fisherman in Two Rivers catches Captain Shunaman's wallet a year later, but no further trace is ever discovered. They never found any debris. They never found any people. They never found luggage. They never found anything else. I blame pirates. I don't even know if there were pirates in 1912. So not only the disappearances, but also strange appearances have made the Michigan Triangle one of the most mysterious places in the world. Since 1919, people have observed unusual and bright lights in the sky above the Michigan Triangle. They also reveal that people have witnessed two large balls of fire that fell into Lake Michigan, and the explosion was so powerful that it shook the earth. Many reports of supposed UFO sightings at the same point above Michigan Triangle were reported later by the locals in the area. I didn't find a lot about all that stuff, 
where there sounds like there were multiple reportings. After the turn of the century, strange events happened at steady intervals. Of the more mysterious is the case of the Rosa Bell. Backtracking just for a second, I just want to say that if I was an alien. Yes. And I abducted even 10 people. Oh, I would get rid of them fast if they were from Michigan. If they were from Michigan, yeah. I probably, I would just dump them and leave. I probably would not come back myself. I might just jump ship. No, I'm keeping my spacecraft. (laughs) 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 All right, back on point. All righty, back on point. So we're going to talk about the Rosa Bell. The Rosa Bell was built in 1863. It was 106 feet long. And it was actually known to be a workhorse of a schooner, which just meant they used it for everything. And she worked hard. Yeah, she did. Well, you know, you were going to ride Lady Elgin, and she wasn't really good luck. I still would ride Lady Elgin. Good luck to that. Oh, yeah. Um, On October 30th of 1921, Rosabelle, loaded with lumber, left High Island, and she was bound for Benton Harbor. She had 11 people inside the ship, and they were all members of the Benton Harbor House of David. The Rosabelle was later found 42 miles east of Milwaukee, overturned, and just floating in Lake Michigan. Everyone had disappeared. So when they found it, they came upon the ship. She's upside down, just floating in the water. Again, no survivors, no bodies. While it appeared that the ship had been damaged in a collision, no other ship ever reported an accident, and no other remains have been found. They ran into a megalodon. In the middle of a lake? A megalodon? Okay. <gasps> oh, th- is that the giant shark? Is that the giant shark? This is fresh water, though. Yeah, They're bull sharks water. can survive oh, in, in <gasps> fresh water, yeah. Ooh. Bull sharks are the only sharks known to be able to change, th- I think it's their metabolism, so that they can actually sur- They only spawn in fresh water. Oh, that's a little scary. Yeah, and they have, in fact, been spotted up the Mississippi River... And I don't remember how far, but it hasn't been Michigan. No, I think Michigan waters will be too cold. Because they're cold-blooded, they need warmer. Possibly. Yeah, okay, so I'm not afraid of that anymore. So many of the people found that this incident was particularly eerie because the Roosevelt had just been rebuilt after an earlier wreck in 1875 when she went to pieces offshore from Grand Haven. The crew was saved in that incident, but Captain Peterson was said to have sustained injuries from which he could never recover. He had several ribs that were broken, and his head was badly hurt by falling spars and rigging. So maybe he had a very bad concussion. Now why you can't recover from that, I'm not sure, but he said he could never recover. He said it? Well, okay, it was said. I I read the newspaper article on it, and that's what it said. He could never recover. Okay. Fast forward to 1937. The O.S. McFarland and the disappearance of Captain George R. Donner. This was super bizarre. See, you didn't think this... Nobody ever thought that this was going to be so convoluted, but there's a lot to this triangle. I know. Um, The O.S. McFarland was underway on April 28th of 1937. 
Donner had worked hard. He was the captain. He retired to his cabin. He said he was tired. Told his crew, when we get to port, wake me up right before we get to port so we can finish guiding us through. The McFarland had picked up 9,800 tons of coal in Erie, Pennsylvania, and was headed west through the still ice-choked waters for Port Washington. So Don Goner, retired, he gave his instructions to his first mate, and they never saw or heard from him again. The crew, when they um, got no response at his door, undertook a thorough search of the vessel. The vegetables. Yeah, they were going to check the vegetables out. Why was he in the vegetables? Uh, they didn't find him there. They okay, why would he have been in the vegetables? Vegetarian. Does it say that he was a vegetarian? No. Nope. Made that off the top of my head. FYI, this is going in the bloopers. They even broke down his locked cabin door. Never seen, never heard from again. Gone. Just poof, gone. And his cabin was locked from the inside. And if you've seen those little windows, you really can't crawl through those. Obviously, you've never seen a real-life ninja. Nope. I haven't. That's why they're ninjas, and I am not. During the blizzard of 1940, three massive freighters and two fishing tugboats sank off the coast of Pentwater, Michigan, well inside this triangle. Rocks of the three freighters had been found, but the two tugboats have never been discovered. Regardless of whether the wrecks are lost or found, it's highly, highly unusual that five ships, and they killed a total of 64 sailors, all sank on the same day. I would say that the pirates were really busy. I don't know that pirates go out in blizzards. Why not? A chance to make money is a chance to make money. Because it's cold. So? Not when you're pirating. How do you know? Have you been pirating? I'm not answering that question. Ooh. That's a future ep episode, too. Andrew's other identity. The Adventures of Pirating Andrew. Starring Andrew. And no one else. So let's jump to June 23rd, 1950. Northwest Airlines Flight 2501. Four engine DC. Plane was taking its regular course from New York to Minneapolis and then on to Seattle. The flight was carrying 55 passengers and three crew members and doing what it did every single day. It made this flight every day. The aircraft was at approximately 3,500 feet over Lake Michigan, eight mile, 18 miles north-northwest of Benton Harbor. I'm seeing a lot of Benton Harbor in these stories. Benton Harbor Pirates. Which is, you know, it's one one of the triangular points of this triangle. It's, it's one of the points of the triangle? Yeah, it is. It actually is. Yeah, pirates. When flight controllers lost radio contact with the plane, soon after the pilot had requested that he be able to descend to 2,500 feet, 
He didn't give him an explanation. He just requested that he could do it. Turbulence. Uh, he didn't say there was any turbulence. Inside he job. He didn't specify any reason why he wanted to descend. He just requested it. And then they lost radio contact. Because yeah, it was an inside job. The pilot was actually a pirate from Benton There was a pirate above... One of the passengers was a pirate, weren't they? No, the pilot was a pirate. I the just said that. The pilot was a pirate. Yes. So they did send divers down, but they were never able to locate the wreckage. They did not locate any bodies. They, Not the rudder, the tail, the black box, you know, the real large pieces that you usually locate after a plane wrecks. Like they never located any of that, and even to this day, they haven't. And if you think we're done yet, you'd be wrong. Oh, no. Because, wait, there's more. Of course. There's more. I really honestly thought that this subject was going to be, you know. Quick in and out, done. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a quick in and out, done. You could say it uh, might be a quickie. No, it's not a quickie. Well, you thought it was going to be a quickie. Yeah, it's it's not a quickie. And Andrew's over there going, are we done yet? It's more like, are you done yet? No, I'm taking my time with my story. I like to take my time. Most women do. Well, get used to it. The SS Carl D. Bradley was a self-unloading Great Lakes freighter. She was one of the first self-unloaders. She was used to haul limestone from the Michigan Limestone Quarry in Rogers City, Michigan. At 639 feet long, she was the longest freighter and the largest self-unloader on the lakes for 22 years. She sank. November 18, 1958, her hull completely split in half. 35 crew members were aboard. Only two survived. Split in half from what? They said that her sinking was likely caused by structural failure because they used brittle steel to make her hull. Oh, and in the cold waters, it... Okay. Yeah. So in 1958 was the last unusual tragic event that I found that took place in the Triangle itself on the Great Lakes. So nothing tragic of that those magnitudes have happened since the late 50s. But... We're going to move up to 2007 when something else extremely unusual happened. An archaeology professor, his name was Mark Holly, and his colleague, Brian Abbott, were running a sonar search around the Lake Michigan Triangle in an effort to find the shipwrecks that were located within the triangle. They discovered in about 40 feet of water a line of stones that were arranged in a pattern reminiscent of Stonehenge. Stonehenge is believed to date back to 3000 BC. Mm -hmm. It's in England. I googled it a little bit and it is it consists of a ring of standing stones. They're about 13 feet high, 7 feet wide, and each stone alone weighs about 25 tons. Each ton is 2,000 pounds. It's a lot of weight. So the stones that they found were very reminiscent. The pattern was very, very similar to Stonehenge in England. They sent divers to photograph the area. And the divers found alongside the line of stones a 
prehistoric carving of a mastodon. The mastodon um, is believed to have gone extinct over 12,000 years ago. Now, this site has not been authenticated, and the exact location remains a very big secret. So it's not like you and I are going to go out and look for it. Uh, no, much like I can, I can imagine. I mean, people tend to screw things up quite quickly. What an amazing discovery. I mean, if this is true, what an amazing, amazing discovery. And how better to preserve it than to not tell people where it's at. Right. And consider the fact that if this is a real site, that means that Lake Michigan did not exist in 12,000 years ago. In 12,000 years ago? It did not exist 12,000 years ago. No, you know the history of the Great Lakes or the assumed history of the Great Lakes, right? I've I've seen a lot, and I know that they weren't always there. It is theorized that giant icebergs cut the landscape. Yes. And as they melted, they created the Great Lakes. For me, it really boggles my mind to think that what we look at now as this huge, huge body of water didn't exist 12,000 years ago in that people and animals walked those areas and lived in those areas. And that, to me, is super duper cool. So like I said, the, um, the site has not been authenticated. So much like Stonehenge, there is very little explanation for the carefully arranged underwater stones what they signify, and who put them there. Which I, you know, I kind of like wanted to know more about that, but well, that's that all I found. Oh, I was going to say, that could be another story for another day. On that area, that's uh, that's all I found on the stones that were located in the Michigan Triangle. Okay. So as legends around the incidents grew, reports flew in around the Triangle claiming that a variety of strange occurrences happened during passages through the area. Some claim the triangle was a time portal and that it either slowed or sped up time. Others maintain that UFOs were seen in the area and they reported bright lights in the sky. Over the years, personal accounts that were chilling bolstered the legend and soon many were writing about strange weather phenomena or even just a feeling of great uneasiness when they were navigating inside the triangle. But throughout the 20th century, Tens of thousands of people have made their way through the triangle and they have yet to document anything supernatural. As I said, I could not find anything after the late 50s. Nothing unusual or tragic really happened after the late 50s. So whether out of general caution or real fear of being the next to disappear, people who are superstitious generally stay away from that area. They, they, they will actually navigate around it. Well, yeah, if you're trying to avoid the pirates and the aliens. <laughs> I'm just or the saying. alien pirates. Oh, oh, yeah, the alien pirates. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. That is my story on the Lake Michigan Triangle. It was much, much, much more in-depth than I thought it would be when I first glanced at it. I thought it would be a real short story, but it grew very involved, and there was a whole lot more to it. And it's kind of unusual to me, in a way, 
that since the late 50s. Nothing tragic has happened like that since then. The aliens finally figured out we're really stupid in Michigan, and they're they like, went yeah, I'm leaving this place. I'm going to Bermuda. Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> you know, tropical climates. It's we'll nice this time that. of year. We can drink to that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you could find some type of explanation for each and every one of these events. Pirates. Lake Michigan has has a reputation for being turbulent when the wind is blowing, as probably any large body of water does. But yeah, there was really there was really a lot of information on this out there. Well, that's kind of awesome. I know it was actually kind of fun, and I I'm glad that this was suggested. I had a lot of fun researching it. I would not have thought of it on my own. I probably wouldn't have found it on my own. So thank you to the person that suggested this story. And anyone else who has ideas or suggestions, feel free to throw them out there. We definitely look forward to doing that research. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Love that kind of stuff. So that is my story on the amazing Lake Michigan Triangle. It has swallowed up a lot of, we'll call them vehicles, because there's a whole lot of things that go in there, and some people, and caused some serious superstitions to go around. So if you have any suggestions, ideas, or comments, you can always message us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know, or you can email us at tmsidntk at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter, and that is tmsidntk. Thank you to all who stopped by, lent us your ear, spent a portion of your day or your evening with us. If you enjoyed your stop with us, feel free to follow the podcast. Leave us a rating and a review. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. You can always find us on Anchor. Spotify. Breaker. Google Podcasts. Pocket Casts. And Radio Public. It's co-hosted by myself, Andrew, and my mom, Mary. All editing is done by myself, Andrew. The cover art was done by my mom, Mary. So this is our final thought for the day. Hey, Andrew. Don't roll your eyes out loud. I will try my best. (laughs) Have a great night. Bye.